Welcome to the Defending Freedom Podcast. My name is Kenya Alou. I'm a mother, wife, and freedom-loving American. If you believe America is worth fighting for, you've arrived at the right place. I believe America's best years are ahead of us, and that's why this podcast was built for you. Hi, this is Kenya Alou, your host on the Defending Freedom Podcast. Today is a different kind of an episode. I was actually interviewed by Lisa Marie Carter, and I was interviewed about an experience that I had at a hospital in Texas with my my dad, and she interviewed me about the process and what happened. So I, with her permission, was able to use that interview, and I'm going to air it here on the podcast today. So I hope this is informative to you. This is a way for me to share my story. I try to do you know, a couple monologues about it, but it just didn't feel right. And so after I did the interview with Lisa, I thought this this is the perfect way to share this. So good morning, Facebook um, friends. Listen in. Lisa Carter here coming at you live from Northern California. And I've got a story to share with you concerning a family that went through a horrific experience at a hospital in Texas. And uh, this is concerning the the CDC protocol. And so welcome, welcome for all of you chiming in. I'm gonna have each and every one of you who are joining, if you could please click the share button. Because I believe that everyone needs to hear this story. Okay. So first and foremost, yeah, let's start off by letting you know um, who you are, um, whereabouts you live, and um, you know what's your background. Just give everybody a little sneak peek into who you are, a little 30 seconds, and then uh, uh, let's talk about your dad. Um, maybe, maybe give everybody a little background of, of your dad, you know, what he for a living before he retired, and what as a result of him getting this virus. Okay. Uh, my name's Kenya Alou, and I am originally from El Paso, Texas, where I um, practiced nursing. I was a registered nurse for over a decade. Um, I left uh, the medical field because I just didn't believe it anymore. This was years ago. Um, I think there's a place for it for sure, but it's definitely... Uh, it's just not what I, it's, it's not healing people. So I left and I became a real estate agent. Um, Lisa and I actually know each other. Uh, We did meet uh, in person in a business years ago. I don't know if she, if you remember Lisa, but we did meet at a convention at one time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I live in Fort Worth, Texas now, but my dad, still lived with my mom in El Paso. They would have celebrated their 49th wedding anniversary on February 4th. My dad, um, the murder occurred January 23rd. Mm-hmm. And it was a murder. I just, I want everybody to know that because um, the, these are not accidents. These are not, these, these are assaults, 100%. I watched it happen. Um, My dad wasn't retired. My dad was working 10 hour days um, until he got sick. He, he owned a very successful 
event planning business and he would hire ex-felons to give them a second chance and mentor them. And he was the cream of the crop. I mean, he contributed more to society than, than most people, I, I would say. He was, everybody loved him. He was a gruff man. He was a stubborn man and everybody loved him. So um, he had no intention of ever retiring. Retiring would have killed him. He was energized uh, through his work and he was a brilliant businessman. Um, he got sick in, in uh, right after Thanksgiving. Uh, we had our family all got together in El Paso for Thanksgiving. And I don't know when he got COVID. It might have been at Thanksgiving. It might've been after, who knows? He didn't stop living his life because life's too short as we see. Um, he started feeling sick. And I also want you all to know that I wasn't in the dark and neither was my mom about what happens with COVID and how to treat it. We knew what we needed to do and what treatments were out there. And, and I especially, I was very prepared. I had everything in my house. Um, and it still happened to my own dad. And, it, and I learned a couple things through the process that I will share with you um, that I wish I had known before because my dad would be alive today. Um, so he got sick in November. Uh, his doctor was trying to help. She, she's not a COVID doctor. She's not a sick person doctor. She's a hormone doctor. And she was doing the best she could. Um, she had previously prescribed hydroxychloroquine to my dad just to have in case. Um, when he got sick, he gave, she gave him hydrox, uh, sorry, she gave him ivermectin at, at the correct dosage, but she didn't give him anything else. He, he was lacking all of, you know, it's a protocol. It's not just one medication. It's a protocol. And so when you take a protocol, it all works together and, you know, you need all of it. And she only gave him the ivermectin and it wasn't because she was trying to hurt him. It's because she's not a sick person doctor. She's a hormone specialist and the media Gave him hydroxychloroquine, not ivermectin, right? She gave him both. So she gave him hydroxychloroquine a long time ago, just, just in case. Here, fill it, have it. And then she gave him ivermectin when he got sick, but she didn't tell him to take the hydroxychloroquine, so he didn't take it. And I, I kept asking, you know, my mom and, and why aren't you, you know, take the hydroxychloroquine, why aren't you taking it? And she's like, no, we're okay. The doctor just said to take the ivermectin. So he didn't, he didn't take it and he should have taken it. Um, and he should have had, you know, some antibiotics and a steroid and, um, budesonide. And, you know, if he had the budesonide, it would have been amazing. My mom did call to get budesonide. And the doctor said, sure, I'll call it in. And for two days, it just never got called in. There was a miscommunication with the nurse or something. I, I don't know. But it just it was one thing after another that didn't go right. Um, I was in Fort Worth when I got the phone call from my mom saying that she was taking him to the hospital or that the urgent care was making him a direct admit to the hospital. And I remember being in my car, it was my son's, um, his birthday was on the 12th. And so I was taking him to buy a new pair of jeans for his birthday on the 14th. And my mom called and said, they're going to the hospital. And I, 
screamed, no, <laughs> I said, no, you can't take him there. They'll kill him there. And she said, we don't have a choice. We have to get it. We, he can't breathe. His oxygen stats were in the high seventies at that, at that time at the urgent care. So I called my husband and I said, I'm leaving for El Paso. I'm, I'm, I'm getting in my car right now. And he said, just a minute. And, and he got me a flight. I was on the next flight. Um, I was on that next flight. I was there within a few hours. I walked into the hospital where I found my mom and my sister and my daughter. My oldest daughter lives there. Um, I found them in the lobby area of the hospital and they were not, they had not seen my dad since they took him there. Um, and the first thing that I did was I asked to speak to somebody about getting my dad a visitor. He needed to see my mother. He needed to see me. He needed an advocate in there because what they did to him in there was a myriad of things that should not have happened. For example, they gave him a drug he was allergic to. They pumped so much oxygen into his body. My dad was sick. He wasn't able to tell, you know, to process, oh, I need to tell them I'm allergic to this, or oh, I need to tell them that my oxygen saturation is usually only at 91, and that's my normal, and I'm healthy that way. So when they're pumping oxygen into me at 94 and 96%, it's actually suffocating me. Mm. He could not communicate that stuff. He was nervous. He was stressed out. He was, um, he had anxiety because he hated hospitals. And he told, he, he said, don't take me to the hospital. They're going to kill me there. He said that before they, before he went. Um, Anyway, it was a battle. We, we tried, we got a nurse advocate. We tried every, you know, like the frontline America's frontline nurse. We got the advocates to try and get us in there. And they just kept saying, you've already done everything that we would have done. You need an attorney. And so we ended up getting an attorney later on. Um, but I, the main issue is that he was isolated and he was deprived of food and water. And for how long? Well, it was off and on. It, it was like he got there. Um, for, let me give you an example. Um, I called him the first night he was there. Okay. We talked to him in the evening. The next morning... I called him and I said, how did you sleep? And this is at 9 a.m. And he said, well, I've been up since 4.30. I've been trying to call somebody to come in here to give me some water and some coffee and, and you know, help me get up to the bathroom. And nobody has come. And I've been sitting in a dark room since 4.30. This is at Providence Memorial Hospital in El Paso, Texas. And I was obviously livid. And I called you know, I was on the phone constantly with the AOD. That's the um, administrator on duty. It's usually a registered nurse that's in charge of the entire hospital for a 12-hour shift. I'm calling them. I'm calling the charge nurses. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get with the, uh, we're reaching out to board members that we knew of the hospital. Um, we're reaching out to the CNO and the CFO. I mean, 
the emails that we sent, the only one that would ever respond, and it was always by a phone call or in person, was Jennifer Duggan, who was the risk management person, basically the law side of things. And she was literally the worst. Well, I can say that about several people we encountered. She was horrible. So that's like one example where he was not attended to and he didn't have food or water. And then one night, um, it was like eight o'clock and I'm like, dad, what did you eat? He said, I haven't eaten dinner yet. I'm like, what do you mean you haven't eaten dinner yet? He goes, well, they haven't brought me any dinner. So I call the AOD. I call the charger. I call the desk. I'm like, why hasn't my dad had dinner? We were given three different stories. The first story was, okay, because he had gone from, he was in the regular room and then they went to ICU and then he was back in the regular room and then back in ICU. So in one of those transitions, she said, oh, the food was sent to the wrong room. And then I said, well, fix it. And, and then the other nurse said, oh, well, he can't have anything. He's having a procedure tomorrow. He's NPO. I said, really? What procedure is that? Because we weren't aware of any procedure. Mm-hmm. And then the, the next nurse said, or the, the next person we talked to said, well, we thought he was just eating the chicken broth that you were providing. And I said, that chicken broth was to give him some more nutrition. It had nothing to do with whether or not he was supposed to be given dinner. And he literally didn't get dinner that night. We had to bring him dinner at 8.30 at night, and it got to him at about 8.45, and it's cold, and like 8.45 at night. When was the last time he ate anything? Nobody's going in the room. Um, I just saw a question about a DNR. I would like to, in Texas, it is legal to record a conversation if one party is aware that it's being recorded. So I have recordings of the doctor um, telling us some stuff about the DNR. Um, he was not DNR. When he went in there, <clears throat> he was DNI, which means do not intubate. He, under no circumstances, wanted to be intubated. He knew what that would mean. <clears throat> he was DNR, though. The doctor told us that if he was going to remain DNI, that he had to be DNR. They refused to resuscitate him, like if he had a heart attack or something. They refused to resuscitate him unless the DNI was taken off of his chart. And when I asked him questions about, like, does DNI, I mean, does, if we take the DNI off, are we assured that you will only intubate him if he has a heart attack and he's resuscitated and he needs it, like if he, if he's just being intubated for low oxygen saturation, we do not want that. And he could not answer me. It was terrifying. He, they're telling my mom this, you know, they're telling my mom this in the, in the thing. So I want to play. So if you don't play by the, our rules, you're not going right. to get treated. You're not going to get treated. Right. Right. And he's, he also said, that because we were un- the family and I don't even know how he knows we were unvaccinated because he never asked us, but he said, you're not vaccinated. So you can't see him. Yep. And we said, well, why would you agree that vaccinated people still get COVID? And he wouldn't answer. And 
uh, he said that we were a risk to the El Paso community and therefore could not be in a room with a COVID patient. Even though my mom had just brought him to the hospital, like she's been with him and she had COVID, like my mom had COVID at the same time. So I, do you want me to play that now, Lisa, or what do you, how do you want me to do that? A small little clip and it's already ready to go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think everybody needs to hear the words coming out of the horse's mouth. Okay. So I also want to say that we asked for monoclonal antibodies while we were there and they had monoclonal antibodies at the facility that they would give to outpatient people, but they refused to give it to my dad. Wow. They would not give it to him because he was inpatient, they said. Okay, so. Well, because once they get to the hospital, that's it. Once they get you at the hospital. Right, that's it. So um, I'm going to play the clip on the code status um, first. And please tell me if you can hear, if you can hear this. You write a list and get it to you somehow. We'll yeah, can you hear that? Or something yeah. And then that way okay. you can see what we're wanting him to take. Well, again, it will, it will depend on availability. We'll, we'll get to that stuff. But... I think the, the thing that we need to address now, and this one's important, is his code status. So I understand that he doesn't want to be intubated. He confirmed that with me, and that's something we'll respect. If he doesn't want to tube in his throat for any reason, that's his decision. He has the right to make that. I won't try to talk anybody out of that. But here's the, the important part that goes with that, and that has to do with CPR. If somebody cannot, we cannot do cardiac resuscitation without the option of intubation. So if somebody's going to be DNI, with that comes being DNR. So if it came to have to do CPR, the shocks and all of that, all of those things would be a useless endeavor if we can't put somebody on a ventilator. And we're not going to go through or put him through all of the trauma of CPR and shocks and all that stuff if we can't have him on a ventilator that he's going to need afterwards. So I want to interject. This is our, this is his doctor talking. We had her on the line, his, his regular doctor that was helping with um, his hormones and, and balancing out some things. And um, she was trying to have a conversation with this doctor, Kevin Rowley from El Paso, Texas, who is a, an intensivist at Providence Memorial hospital. And she's trying to tell him, I'm not going to play all that. But she basically goes into why, if he's not, you're saying you won't, you won't resuscitate him just because he refuses intubation. Like she was even arguing with him and she's a medical doctor. She's not like, she's a medical doctor. She's trained medically and she did not understand the rationale behind what he was doing either. Um, and then I'm going to move forward because there's another portion where he brings it up again because we kind of got off the topic and he brings it up again and he really goes into it. Their lungs in a normal way. And that's where the incentive barometer, you know, may be beneficial. It's certainly not going to hurt anything. So I, you know, we could pull it in here for him to use. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's easy I just, I would really like the policy because I want to get the supplements into his. They wouldn't give me the hospital policy. Whatever we have to do, um, because at this point, with as dismal as things look, I don't see why it would be refused to him. 
I think we need to talk about that as a family before we... Well, actually, it's, it's his decision, and he's made it. Yeah, but he doesn't understand what you just said to us. Did you explain to him what you just said to us? Yeah, and he understood it. I think well, my mom... Usually, COVID patients usually have a brain fog, so I don't think he's making... That's right. Uh, my mom should make that know, decision. competent decision at this time. Actually, well, I can't legally uh, res respect that wish. If she has the power I, of attorney, we I, I, no, no, no. Hold on. So, power of attorney doesn't take take over control until he's no longer able to make decisions for himself. Right, but we've and, been we've been trying. And, and he and I spoke, and he was able to express his understanding of the decision he made, and he was also able to repeat back to me the potential consequences of that decision. And by that standard, he legally meets capacity, so I'm required by law to respect it. Okay, since we got here yesterday, we've been trying to get a paper to him, which nobody would get to him, so that he could make a choice on whether to sign it to give my mom the ability to make decisions um, that came from a lawyer, so it's legal, and it's, it's, it's making decisions even when, he, you know, even when he's still here, and we've not been able to get it to him. So is your preference then to have us incubate him against his will? No, no. My preference is that because he's not cognitive, he has had COVID. He's have, he's not himself. We know what my dad is like. He's had brain fog. He has had. Uh, he's confused. But, but my, my he, question, my question is, what would you change? In, what's the concern about what you want to change right now? I would like to talk with my family, my mom, and my dad, and make that decision about what you're asking us as far as the. Uh, DNI and DNR, because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking. What I'm telling you is that if he's DNI, he must be DNR. We cannot. This is not something that can be done a la carte. Yes. If we're going to do, going to do a full resuscitation, meaning we're going to put him through and expend the resources with electrical shocks, mm -hmm. CPR, IV medications, then we have to be able to intubate him. Yes, with and I, want, with, I need to I want to make sure that he understands that it's one in the same at this point. Well, I also want to know, is it one in the same really? Because um, are we saying you would only intubate if he codes? Or are you saying you're going to intubate if his O2 sat drops too low? Because we I'm, not saying, I'm not saying anything. Okay. But if, the, if, the, if intubation for any reason is off the table, then so is... Well, I think there's a difference between intubating Correct. because somebody codes and intubating because somebody's O2 sat is a little uncomfortable. This is the first time we were explained it. This is the first time this has been told us in this way, and so we're just a little bit confused. <laughs> so excuse us for this. Uh, I just don't want... I feel like it's different because I know other patients who've been in the ICU who've been intubated. That takes, us, that takes us back to the original point, is that I understand your concerns and your misgivings, but he was able to convey to me that he wants to be DNI. 
So if you want to get that paper to him to sign to concede all that decision making and it's the legal standard, then we can talk about that. But, but we just want to make sure that he knows that DNR and DNI are the same. Point, but, but from this point forward, he's made his decision. And I'm legally bound to respect it. Would you agree that people no, with COVID have brain fog? Would you agree with that? People are looking to people because of a cardiac issue. Pardon me? You don't, you're not going to do the DNR just because you did not want to be intubated? Well, we're going to make him DNR if he's DNR. They're basically so, forcing him. This different issues, doctor. This isn't a punishment. This okay. is simply... Stop. So, but listen, but here's the thing. Legally, my hands are tied here. I have to respect the request that he expressed to me, and he clearly stated it and clearly understood the implications of it. For now, that's all that can be done. Now, if he's willing to sign a form to give control over to his wife, even if his uh, faculties are intact, okay, but I will tell you this, argument about um, brain fog and your and your belief that he's not cognizant, then that calls into into question the legality of that document. But nonetheless, he had he demonstrated capacity when he told me that he did not want to be intubated for any reason at all. And I explained to him what that meant and he was able to repeat it back to me. And that's that's it. From a legal perspective, there's nothing more that I can do to go against his wishes. Okay, I'm going to fast forward a little bit to where my sister, who is an attorney, steps in and pretty much begs him for an in-person conversation. Or maybe not. While you're locating that, Kenya, um, it's just not playing now, of course. Hold on. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Lisa. My heart is... Did you find it? No, not yet. I mean, I, I know where it's at. It's just not playing. That's okay. So go ahead. Um, my heart's breaking right now. Listening to this clip. Um, I can't imagine how heart-wrenching it is for you listening to this and having to relive. Because mm. your dad was alive while this conversation was taking place and now he's not here anymore. He was right there and you can actually hear his voice in a minute. Which is so, really awful. Because I know that um, when you and I were talking about doing this live together, you had mentioned that uh, they had your dad sedated, right? So was he sedated during this time, during this conversation, or was he sedated after? Because you have 14 stacks of doctor's reports, correct, that you are sifting through as we speak. Mm -hmm. Can you tell our audience what just one of those stacks looks like? 14 of these stacks. Do you have that nearby? Um, I mean, I can, I can definitely get it cause I'm on my phone so I can walk down there and get it. But let me just tell you, um, the deal with this, the deal with the medical records is they're not in order. 
they're all over the place. And so going through them, I'm actually having a group of friends come over to help me soon go through them all. But when you go through them, um, I'm going to flip my camera real quick if I can. I don't know if I even can. Nope, I can't. So Donna says, Donna Landolfi says, if that were my dad, I would have stormed that hospital and yanked him out of there. I want you I to tried. Okay. Look at this, these are the medical records. For how many days in the hospital was your dad in the hospital? 40. 40 days. 40 days. Um, I tried to um, get him out of there. So your first question was, was he sedated? So I, like I said, they're out of order. So I have to find... I'm trying to make sense of the chart. I know before he, they, he, before they intubated him, he was sedated uh, with all kinds of stuff, antipsychotic drugs that he didn't need. Um, I don't know if at this moment, if he was sedated yet, because they did ask us if they could put him on Presidex in the ICU. And we said no. And, uh, we said no, because that was going to force him to remain in the ICU. And we didn't want him to remain in the ICU. We wanted him out so we could have a better chance of getting him out of there. Um, and um, basically, he uh, ended up getting sedated right before, or the 24 hours before they intubated him. I don't know when. I don't know when, because... Like I said, I'm still sifting through these medical records and it's very complicated because stack number one that's labeled number one is not day one. Right. And it's not even, it's, it's, it's not even in any chronological order. So literally. Of course it's not because they want to confuse you. Yeah. Well, this they want us to let it go. They want us to let it go. Confuse girl. It's all been about confusion. And we know the devil is the author of confusion. And I've been saying it all along that we're under an antichrist movement. This is an antichrist movement that we're all under right now. And it has been designed to create so much confusion, so much fear. When your doctor was, was it your sister on this conversation that we were getting to? Okay, so that was, um, that was me. Um, and then you hear my daughter at one point, my oldest, yep. that's his, his granddaughter. And then right now you're going to hear my sister. She's an attorney. She does like my dad's estate planning and business stuff. And so she was just trying to tell the doctor that, Hey, I'm, I, I usually explain this stuff to him. I need an in-person conversation. Would not give it to us. My question, cause I want the audience to understand this. Was your dad lack, lacking oxygen when he went into the hospital? I want to confirm that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Was your dad lack, lacking oxygen still when he said that the doctor was, uh, when the doctor said that he was talking to your dad and he, that he had gotten consent and that he, your, your dad understood? He was, still he was on oxygen and his sat was up, but you'll hear him in a minute. He sounds distressed because they were blowing so much into him that it was, you know, imagine when you're on a roller coaster and you're going down the hill and all the 
the air is blowing in your face and you can't really take a normal breath when that happens, right? So imagine they're, they've got the nasal cannula and the mask and they're blowing it into his face and he's used to being at 91%, but they're making him be 94 to 96%. So dad's And he couldn't breathe. Yeah. 91. So to see what the symptoms are for low oxygen levels. If you look at it, shortness of breath, headaches, restlessness, dizziness, rapid breathing, chest pain, confusion, high blood pressure, lack of coordination, visual disorders, sense of euphoria, and rapid heartbeat. Confusion is in there. Oh, sense yeah, yeah. In there. Visual disorders is in there. No, they did not want us to talk to him and they did not care if he understood what was going on. They gave him the night before they intubated him, they gave him morphine. They gave him, uh, uh, dilaudid. They gave him wicked Ativan. Stuff. Wicked. Like why? Why it was did they give him that? They gave him that because it's, 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 it represents pharmacia. It rep. Mm -hmm. I, I've said this in past lives, Kenya. I need everybody to understand that pharmacy, the Greek root word for pharmacy is pharmakia, ladies and gentlemen. And when you, when you look up the Greek root word pharmakia, which means pharmacy, pharmakia means spells, witchcraft, yeah. and potions. And that's what drugs have always been designed to do. This didn't just happen overnight. Big Pharma has been sedating people for decades. There's a side effect to every drug that is administered throughout the world, ladies and gentlemen. This is a, this is a world epidemic that we're, that we're going through right now. And it, it's all wrapped around Big Pharma. And Big Pharma controls the media. They control everything that comes through the television. And so we're, we're seeing everything up close. And so they gave your dad that mixed cocktail because when you're mm -hmm. under the influence and you don't understand what's going on and everything, anything goes, mm -hmm. anything goes. And I'm so sorry that your dad went through that. Do you have this next clip ready to I go? Do. Yes, I do. Okay. But I'm not going to subject him to that sort of assault on his body when we take away one of the main pillars of making it successful. The, the one thing I am requesting right now is that we be able to talk to him because we have not been able to have a full conversation he's, with him. He's sitting right here. Yes. I, I'm, I'm, right. I'm his middle daughter. I'm also his okay. lawyer. And so I, I'm usually the person who explains the legalities to him. So I am requesting that that be made available before he confirms his decision that he does not want to be intubated, intubated and therefore also DNR. So that's the only request I am making at this point so that I can explain it to him. If he confirms that's still his wishes, so be it. But I am the one who usually explains the, these matters to him. And so I'm requesting that he's, he's sitting right next to us. He's been here for the whole conversation. So here you can Dad? Yeah. Dad, it's Selena. Yeah. We need to have a conversation about 
uh, your medical wishes, okay? So request that from the doctor so that I can talk to you and explain, and then you can say yes or no, whatever you want, okay? But you need to have an uh, in-person conversation. Okay, yeah. Are you, oh, what? Oh. I'm sorry, what? So are you, are you going to discuss it with him now? I want to be in person with my dad. Are you, are you, if you're not vaccinated, ma'am, we can't allow that. Is there any way we can talk to somebody who can possibly make an exception to that rule? It feels a little bit... Like a punishment. No, a little bit um, unfair. You can talk to whomever you like, but I can assure you it's not it's neither discriminatory nor punitive. It's a public safety issue. It's nobody's in the forum for this debate. But the simple fact is, vaccination reduces the risk. And that's why we're taking the position that we take it. You have an opportunity to speak with him right now. And that's really the best I can offer at this point. And his wife is right here at the bedside with him. So I would say this is an opportunity to have that discussion. I I think they need to talk to their dad uh, privately. Maybe a Zoom meeting. Yes, I agree. Okay, you can speak your We never got that Zoom meeting. That never happened. Um, I, wonder, I, wonder, I wonder, Kenya, what the doctor would have said if you said, we want my dad released now. Well, here's the problem. I wanted to get him out of there. I felt that we could take care of him better at home. I, I knew we could take care of him better at home. And he might have still died. I doubt it. He, but he might have, and my family wasn't comfortable with that. And so I couldn't just plow my way through when my mom and my sisters and my daughter were, they were so scared that he might die and he might've died. He might've died. I was willing to take that risk, but I couldn't force my way. I hear you. Once, once your dad's in he's hooked up to all these things it's harder to make a decision yeah and at one point i did try to get him out on hospice care thinking like we could just get him out on hospice and just hospice you know not really hospice but we could say it so that we could get him home we could rehabilitate him and be done but it's a very hard thing when you have um the fear that they're injecting into you into my family and it was going to be a risk to take him home that I, I, I feel like it would have been the best decision. And I feel like he'd still be here with us, but everybody was so scared. They were right. terrified because they were with him. So you have to understand I wasn't there. Well, and they family, were with him. Your family, like your mom, did your mom, did your sister, like, did, did they, did they know about Ivy? Did they know about Heidi? Did they know about, frontline doctors and how they have a protocol that is actually saving patients instead of harming patients. Did they know all these things? Did they know what you know? Did they know what we know? So I, I know my mom knew my mom knew. Um, I don't know about, I mean, I, I told people, I told them, but I don't know if they really cared. I think they got on. I think my one sister did use frontline doctors. I, I used them. Um, my mom and my sister were with my dad when they took him to the urgent care for monoclonal antibody referral and he was not breathing and he was shaking. He was like shaking and that scared them. And I, 
it would have scared me too. And I think them experiencing that, they were not willing to take him home. I knew he was going to die in the hospital. I knew there was no way out unless we took him out. That's why I, but, I hospital girl. Cause I knew if my dad was admitted, he wouldn't be here either. I know. I know. And, and I, but what, you know, I, I said what I wanted to do and I felt like we could get oxygen at home and just bottom line, if they hadn't isolated him, he would still be alive because we would have intervened with whatever treatments they were doing, you know, and you would have been, a- been there to make sure that your dad had a blanket. You would have been there to make sure your dad drank water. You would have been there to make sure that your dad had food to eat, Kenya. I would have been there to, to I would have been there to turn down the freaking oxygen. Yep. That he didn't need for on full blast. I Absolutely. mean, I would Absolutely. not have been afraid to turn that down. And I would my mom would have been there to say, "Don't give him a statin drug. He's allergic to it." And he wouldn't have needed he, he wouldn't have even appeared to need, I don't think he needed it. He would not have appeared to need any anti-anxiety medication. We would have gotten him home. At one point when he left the ICU, he was joking around with the nurses. He was doing great, eating a turkey sandwich. And literally, he just when they took him back to that COVID telemetry floor room, it was a dark, long room with no television, no hand soap, no, like, couldn't see, no window, nothing. And so, I mean, I think there was a window to the outside, but there was no, it was like a, my mom said it was like a dungeon. And he went downhill when they put him in that room, isolated again. I mean, he just, Jesus. and then you try and FaceTime with him and talk to him and he, the oxygen's blowing real loud and the beeping and he can't hear and he hurts to talk because he's being forced air down his body. And he even called my, um, he called his cousin and he said, get me out of here. They're blowing my lungs out. And I didn't find out about that till after he was intubated. Wow. And I found out also they restrained him. I didn't find that out until a couple days ago. They had him restrained. He was trying to leave my mom. He told my mom, my mom finally got into the room because how many, okay, hold, let's, let's talk about the timeline. Your mom got into the room. Your dad was in the hospital for 40 days. What day was your mom in the room? Well, it, it's a two part, two parts. Okay. So the first time she got in the room was on the 17th. Okay. He was admitted on the 14th. The first time she got in the room was the 17th. And the reason was they said that she The nurse came and talked to us and said, okay, every time I go in the room, he grabs my hand and he calms down and he does so much better. Um, And I'm a stranger, so I'm going to let you come in, my mom. And within 12 hours, he was intubated because, or 24 hours, whatever, 18, something like that. Uh, Because by the time they let my mom in to see him, he was nuts. They had already medicated him and given him morphine and given him Ativan and given him statin drugs. And he, he was having panic attacks and pulling his mask off and he wouldn't keep it on because he was having panic attacks. And so his blood saturation was going down, his blood gases, and um, they let her in that one time. 
they intubate they they got him to agree to intubation they got my mom to agree to intubation they intubated him because he was literally panic attacks pulling the mask off diving into the low 70s when he would pull the mask off they had killed his lungs already they did damage to his lungs with forcing all of that oxygen into him for three days so they said, okay, you can still come to the, you can still come to the, telling my mom, you can still come into his room in the ICU. So he, so she goes up to the ICU and she feels his leg and she goes, you know, his foot's kind of cold. His foot, one foot's cold, just one. Listen, I was a nurse for over 10 years. In nursing school, one of the first things you learn is how to assess a patient. You feel their pulses. You feel their feet. He had a clot in his foot. It was no-brainer. The nurse brings him a warm blanket, didn't even touch him. And then the next day, my mom comes back, and she pulls his sock off, and his foot is purple. Oh and she, she takes a picture of it, and she sends it to me. And next thing we know, I'm calling the AOD. I'm calling everyone. Why, why didn't they do the Doppler? They were supposed to do the Doppler 18 hours ago. And just craziness. And then the, uh, Sarah Harless, who is the director of the ICU at Providence, her name is Sarah Harless, used to work on the same floor with her father when I was a labor and delivery nurse, and he used to perform abortions. I did not work any of his cases. Um, but Sarah Harless is an awful person very awful person. She came in and she told my mom she was no longer able, allowed to be in the room because she was impeding patient care. So my mom was kicked out. She was allowed to see my dad 30 minutes through the glass only a day. And then we got an attorney like on January 13th or something finally. So we're over through the holidays. This is over Christmas, over New Year's. So everybody's out, out of the office. We're, everything's slower. The regular doctors aren't there. It's all on-call people. And it was crazy. And speaking of that also, uh, all the nurses were travel nurses. There were two staff nurses that we met. Everyone else was a traveler, uh, meaning they're getting paid the big bucks to travel from state to state to different ICUs to help murder patients. So where are all the staff people? When I was a nurse, there were staff people. Where did they all go? Where are the people that live in El Paso that are nurses? I know they exist. Where are they? So, you know, they either quit because they were forced to get a vaccine or they quit because they refused to kill people. Yep. You know, anybody who enforces even to, I'll, I'll take it as far as I can take it because the isolation is what killed my dad. The him not being isolated would have prevented everything else. So the, the nurses who would not stand up for patients to have a family member at their bedside are complicit in the murder of these patients. And anyway, so we got the attorney uh, to write us a demand letter to get us in the room and also get uh, medications at that point, we finally got our first meeting in person with a doctor. 
we had asked prior, can we meet with a doctor? Like, can we have a team meeting like with all his doctors? And they would just laugh at us and be like, oh, we're too busy. We can't do that. What on earth? I mean, it is everything. Their hands, their hands might be tied. They say their hands are tied. But here's the thing. Stand up for your patient. Do the right thing. If everybody did the right thing, the hands that would be tied would be the hospital administration. Yep. Not the nurses. Absolutely. You know, I want to show our audience two things. Okay. Um, the first thing that I want to show everybody, because this doctor was letting you all know that, you know, you couldn't come in because you weren't jabbed, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it just amazes me that so many doctors um, are pushing this jab and they're not, they're, they're not looking at the evidence. They're not looking at the evidence. Um, they're, in fact, if anything, they're ignoring the evidence. And so, you know, they say that, you know, you're, you, that you're um, a risk if you're not jabbed. You're a risk. And that's why you can't come into the hospital. That's why nobody can go into the hospital with their loved ones when their loved ones are admitted for one reason or another. And so I just want to show you all an update. Um, I've shown you this before in past lives that I've done. If you go to openveyors.com, make note of this website, ladies and gentlemen, because it's updated constantly. The last time that it was updated was on April the 15th. There are now 1,237,645 reports reporting adverse reactions to this particular jab, of which 27,000 deaths have been reported. Now listen, this is, a, this is a reporting system, ladies and gentlemen, that has been around for since 1990, okay? And I want you to just take a look at this report because you can't unsee this. This is, this is a reporting system that has been around since 1990 that has reported all adverse reactions to all vaccines ever manufactured Look at this chart. And then in 2020, wow, December of 2020, the COVID-19 vaccine was introduced. Look at this chart. Like why, why isn't this a red flag to every doctor, to every nurse out there that is asking the question? Like, listen, when you go to the hospital, that nurse that works the front desk asks you the question, are you vaccinated? I would have this screenshot ready to go. I would say, oh, you mean this vaccine? Oh, this my gosh. That has, that has, that has reported over 1.2 million adverse reactions. This vaccine? That has caused 27,000 deaths. And by the way, th these numbers are only represent 1%. These numbers only represent 1% of what's being reported, ladies and gentlemen. We don't even know the full picture because they're suppressing the truth. In every angle, the truth is being suppressed. 151,000 hospitalizations, 127,000 in urgent care, over 15,000 people with Bell's palsy. Look at all the people that have had allergic reactions. 
188,000 doctor visits. We've got over 39,000 people who have myocarditis, pericarditis. A lot of these uh, people represent youth who now have permanent heart damage. We've got over 50,000 permanently disabled, 4,500 miscarriages. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but the risk far outweighs the benefits here when it comes to getting jabbed. And no hospital is the same. No hospital is the same. This is the hospital that our good friend was, was admitted to just a few nights ago because he wasn't feeling well and just wanted to get checked out. He goes to the hospital. I shared this at the beginning of my life here, but I want to show you that the, I want to show you what's happened to this hospital over the last two years. Go and look up any hospital and look at their reviews over the last two years. And you tell me if you see the same things. Oh, you should see Providence Memorial's reviews. They're horrible. Girl. That's what I, that's what I, that, this is the awareness that I want you and I to create. I want everybody to do a Google search on mm -hmm. hospitals that are in their area because everything has changed over the last two years. This is a hospital, by the way, that my, our best friend's wife was admitted to about five to six years ago, and she was treated like a queen. She went in because she had kidney stones. And I mean, they just treated her so well. They, 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 they addressed the pain that she was in. She immediately had surgery. I mean, it was just such a beautiful experience. And so this is the reason why her husband went to the hospital, went to this particular hospital two nights ago, because he figured, you know what? My wife had such a good experience at this hospital. I'm going to go. No. The first question he was asked is, are you vaccinated? My husband who took him to the hospital, he was asked the same question. Are you vaccinated? So my husband couldn't go back to the room with him. And they couldn't get my, my friend out of there fast enough. They checked his blood pressure. They put, they actually, um, uh, you know, checked his heart and the, you know, the little sticky things that they put on you to check everything. They didn't peel them off, girl. They pulled them off like that. Like, I mean, pulled them off. And my best friend was like, he was like, what the heck? Like, do you do that to all your patients? And right next to him, he heard that the guy who did say he was jabbed, he was, he was being treated like gold by the doctors and the nurses, but he was being treated like shit. And I, I hate to use that, that word, but I have to say it. He was being treated like shit. And that's what people are being treated like <clears throat> who aren't jabbed. Look at these reviews. Mm -hmm. This hospital went from having almost five stars to over the last two years, you got one star reviews. We just shut them all down. I mean, I don't know how to even go about doing that, but they all need to be shut down. And we need to start over. Um, girl, it, it's got to happen. Look, look at this review right here from one month ago. <clears throat> this daughter took her dad to the hospital and she says, my dad was dismissed from the hospital today as everything is fine. Just go home. You were okay. The doctor said a few hours later after they called us from the ER saying that he had to come back. He has bacteria in his blood and is high risk for septic shock. What doctor can do this without checking his test or blood culture? We drove back to the ER and still after four hours of waiting for a room, this place is so unorganized, no one knows what needs to be done. If you, it, uh, if you not ask a question, they will, they, they will leave you alone for hours. So nobody's being taken care of. Another, uh, uh, person says the doctors, nurses, and staff are very well qualified, they're pleasant, but 
um, they said that they they uh, they rate this hospital low due to their non-advocate policy. So nobody can advocate for the patients there. This is what's going on all across the country here in the United States of America. This is the America that we now live in, ladies and gentlemen. And let me tell you, this is Obama's America. This is what the Obama care plan has gotten us. You all think that Biden is ruling the nest at the White House? No, ladies and gentlemen, it's Obama. It's Obama. And I've got some information that I'm going to share with y'all on my next live. And so be on the watch for that. Um, Kenya, do you have any, anything else that you want to share with us today? Yeah, I just want to uh, give you a little bit of preparation just in case you aren't. First of all, um, the frontline doctors will give you uh, stuff even if you're not sick. You're just not going to be waited on first. So you can get on there and you can order everything you need to have in case you get it. They will give you prophylactic. Um, so do that. And then also you need to prepare, uh, find out if there are any hospitals in your area that will not isolate your family because that's the biggest problem. And also have an attorney in your back pocket. I wish that we had day one handed them the attorney letter. And I don't know if it would have gotten us in the room or not, but hope it might have, it got us in the room later. So maybe it would have gotten us in the room day one. I wish we had had an attorney. Um, I know for a fact, Kenya, if you would have been at that hospital with your mom and your dad, just going into the emergency room, I know for a fact you would have been just like me. And you would, you would have, have stayed. Girl, that's what I'm saying. Like no. you would not allow your dad to stay in that hospital. No, no. And that's the other thing. I wish that I had, when I, when I first knew my dad tested positive for COVID like on the 8th or something, I should have just, you know what? He was fine at that moment, but I should have just taken the nine hour drive to El Paso and just stayed there until he was out of the woods. I, I wish that I had done that. I, I know I just, I know I didn't. So the same thing happened with my parents. Ken. The same thing happened with my parents. My mom and my dad developed COVID symptoms. My, dad, my mom actually took a couple of ivermectin tablets and she was fine. She didn't give anything to my dad because she, it was hard to determine if my dad had COVID or not because my dad had had a cough, this really bad cough for close to a year, maybe a little over a year, that for some reason the doctor did control. And so mom didn't know, is it COVID, is it not COVID? Like we, we, just, we just didn't know until he, had, he was exhibiting, started exhibiting other symptoms, you know, five to seven days later. And then mom called me and said, your dad's skin color looks gray. He says he's having a hard time breathing and I'm scared. And mm -hmm. I, was only, I was only an hour and a half away, girl, driving time. And so I know that I know that that time difference makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. Because if, if I had lived far farther away, like you, like you do from your mom and your dad, um, it could have been a way different outcome. Yeah. Because we had time running against us. And I had to get there as soon as possible. I mean, as soon as I got into my parents' house, the first thing I did, I put the oximeter on my dad's finger. And I saw that his, oxy, uh, his oxygen levels were at like 77, 78. Mm -hmm. And red flags went off everywhere. 
And I tried to treat my dad right there on the spot, gave my dad ivermectin. Everybody needs to know that without zinc, the ivermectin doesn't get to the Got to take zinc, a minimum of 50 milligrams to 100 milligrams with the zinc. So that's really, really important. Um, so we were throwing everything at my dad, and it got to the point, Kenyon, this is what I want our audience to understand. It got to the point to where everything that we were doing for dad, even though I had everything, I had everything, um, it still wasn't enough. He needed oxygen. And that was something that I did not have. So when I went into the hospital with my dad, I refused to let him go into the emergency room by himself. And thank God, I, listen, there are still a few good nurses at some of these hospitals. And this nurse looked right into my eyes and she looked at me and she goes, look at me. I get you. I get you. That's awesome. I understand. Like, I, listen, she looks around. I wouldn't go into no hospital by myself either. I understand. Mm -hmm. Let me get my dad, let me get your dad in a room and I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. You're going to have to get COVID tested. And I said, I don't care. Give me the swab. I'll do it. No problem. I'm not leaving my dad's side. And so there are some still, there are still some good nurses. I commend every good nurse that's out there. And I pray for every nurse that's out there that's advocating for patients the right way. Just like this nurse did for me. Um, I actually had, and I want to show our last thing. Kenya, I had, yeah. I had this protocol, ladies and gentlemen, and this protocol allowed me to stand strong. You got to go to COVID19criticalcare.com. This is a frontline doctor website that Kenya's referring to. And if you go under the protocol page, this is what the website looks like, okay? It's the, it's the FLCCC Alliance, Okay. You got to go into protocols. And if you go into protocols, there's three protocols. There's an early treatment protocol. There's a hospital protocol. If you, if you or your loved one have to go to the hospital and then there's a long haul COVID protocol. They also have a complete guide to care for a COVID-19 patient. They even have it in Spanish. And so they even have medical evidence. So if you need to print this off and back up to show to a doctor, why you're following these protocols, take that in with you too. But I had this hospital protocol, Kenya, and I was able to show this to every doctor, which we had two different doctors that came into my father's room and a few different nurses. And I was able to show them this protocol and I was able to tell them, unless the medicine is on this sheet, you're not giving it to my dad. Oh, it's so good, Lisa, because- have these, 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 um, They wanted to give dad dexamethasone, uh -huh. which- which the three drugs that everyone needs to say no to when going into the hospital, dexamethasone, blancomycin, and for sure, remdesivir. Do not get remdesivir. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to, listen, the FDA, Kenya, I don't know if you heard this or not, but the FDA just authorized children, babies, girl. Horrible. They just authorized babies. I'm talking infants to get treatments of remdesivir if they develop virus-like symptoms. That's just insane to me. Remdesivir. Remdesivir, ladies and gentlemen, if you know anything about it, it causes the kidneys to shut down. Remdesivir is one of the biggest reasons why so many COVID patients have been inundated, have, have actually had intubated, have actually had uh, to be placed on ventilators. Open your eyes. They're now, I told you they were coming after our children. I've told you in past lives, they're coming after our children. They're coming after our children. They just approved remdesivir to be given to our children if they develop virus-like 
symptoms. You got to know. So, they don't even know what it's going to do to these kids growing up if they even make it past a certain age. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so demonic. I can't even verbalize except for the word demonic. That's all that I can say. Um, I don't want to, I'm not trying to scare people. I mean, I am, but I'm not, I'm just telling you what happened. Um, at one point, the, my dad was trying to call for help. This is, I'm just telling you my one last story of isolation that, that hit me. Um, he was trying to call for help with the call bell. We were on FaceTime with him and they would not answer him for five minutes. And we didn't know what was wrong. Cause he was just saying, help, help, help. That's all we heard. Help. We didn't see him because his phone was down. Help. And oh I call, it was awful. I mean, we're in the same, we're in the hospital because I wouldn't leave. I refused to leave. I kept saying, my dad, if you're not going to let us in the room, he's at least going to know we're in the same building. We're not leaving. They expected us to just go home and wait for him to die. Are you kidding? So I said, I called the nurse's station. Nobody answered. This is about five minutes in. I go to the security desk and I'm like, listen, my dad's been calling for help for five minutes. I don't know if he has to go to the bathroom or if he's really struggling. Like, I have no idea what's going on. Nobody's answering. And the security lady goes, well, let me call. And I said, I already called. Calling's not working. And she said, well, I have a different number. She got real snarky with me. And she calls and nobody answers. And I said, see, nobody's answering. I literally bolted down the hallway running. I had no idea where my dad's room was. I just was going to find it or make some, get some attention I bolted down the, the hallway and 10 people surround me, heads of departments, AOD, nurses, charge nurse, uh, security, risk management. I'm wow. surrounded by all these people and I'm going, you guys could respond to me running down the hall, but you can't respond to a call bell from an IC, from a, a patient in the hospital who's struggling. I was so angry. Oh. Oh. And they went finally and got him. And what turned out was his oxygen fell off and he could not reach it to put it back on for 10 minutes. I, we asked them, can we please, if you won't let us in, can we hire a private nurse? Can we hire a sitter like privately? They would not let us. They literally did not want to help my dad. They wanted him to die. They did everything to make him die. So, and I want to thank you, Lisa, for shedding so much light on this issue and for using your platform to help these stories reach so many people, because I cannot believe how many people are out there that don't know. They don't. I don't understand. I know. There's two reasons. They don't know because they're just not looking in the right places. And the other reason is, is there are people that just don't want to know. Right. And they're... they're also, the government, you know, we have, we have a press secretary and a government that does not, they just want to push the vaccine and fear. They don't want to push what you can do. Like, hey, don't worry if you get it. Here are the therapeutics that work. They won't do that. And, you know, people who sit around and are just working and coming home from work and turning on the TV, that's all they know is fear. They don't, because the government's not being responsible in 
telling the truth. They're not telling the truth. They're lying. They're not. They're not. So. Victoria's kidneys don't work. You can't flush your body. Your body retains fluid that can get into your lungs. Victoria, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So listen, ladies and gentlemen, if your child has to go to the hospital because they develop virus-like symptoms and you take them to the hospital and they put your child on remdesivir and then the next thing you know, they come back to you and they tell you that, oh, your child's got pneumonia, just know that probably not pneumonia, it's probably your child's lungs filling up with fluid because of them being put on remdesivir and their kidneys are shutting down. You heard it here. You heard it here. And I heard it. I heard it from a, a doctor that blew the lid right off of remdesivir uh, over a year ago. Over a year ago. And so um, Kenya, again, uh, I, I can't tell you enough how much my heart breaks for you. My could have been your story very easily our family story could have been your family story um if if we hmm. if, if time was not on our side if time was not on our side and so my heart just breaks for you but i know that your dad's death it you know your dad did not die in vain we, we are sharing his story and i believe that his story is going to get out and i believe that your dad's story is going to change lives it's going to prevent people from going into the hospital and, and, and not knowing what to do. And, um, and so your, and dad, your dad is a hero. He, he's Lisa, dying. Here's the other thing. If people are afraid that they're going to die if they don't go to the hospital, I would just say that there's a highly more likely chance that they will die in the hospital than they would at home. And the worst part is, is they're going to go through torture in the hospital before they kill him. At home, at least you're surrounded by your family. My dad would have way more preferred to come home and die with us if he was going to die than die the way that he died with all the freaking abuse that they put him through. And they were yelling at him at one point, yelling at him, do you want to die? Do you want to be into, I mean, they were awful. It was awful. It was abusive and traumatic for all of us. I hear you. I hear you. So, anyway. um, if, if you do have to go to the hospital, ladies and loved one has to go to the hospital, take this protocol in with you, this hospital protocol that you can find. Mm -hmm. on this. Do not go to the hospital with virus-like symptoms without this protocol that's under the protocol tab. Okay, I can't say that enough. And when you go in there, your your listen, your ultimate goal is to get you or your loved one um, a, a treatment. I asked for methylprednisone to help my dad's lungs expanded. Uh, it made all the difference in the world. And then the next thing I requested is for oxygen to be sent home. By the time yep. I got my dad back home, just hours later after having him admitted into the emergency room there was oxygen waiting at my father's house and we were able to save his life and my hope for everybody watching this is that you would share this video because I believe that somebody needs to hear it listen ladies and gentlemen the government's not done this Antichrist movement is gonna pick up speed right after summertime mm-hmm I believe that as we go into the ending of this year, we're talking midterm elections. Come on. We got midterm elections, Kenya. You I know. I ain't throw another curveball. You don't think that they're going to try and uh, 
pull another election fraud stunt. Ugh. Oh, they will. And they'll say, okay, everybody, stop this other uh, virus, and everybody needs to mail in their ballots. There's mm -hmm. going to be people being harmed, and it's so that this Antichrist movement can remain in control. So I, if I were you, I would get your protection while you still can. Mm -hmm. Get your Ivy. Get your Heidi. Get budesonide. Make sure you have the, 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 the nebulizer. You can find a nebulizer on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, make sure you have an oxygen reader, an oximeter. And make sure you have your protocols printed out through COVID19criticalcare.com. Am I missing anything, Kenya? Have a lawyer in your back pocket just in case. Good. Have a, have a lawyer and make sure that for those of you that have elderly parents or even elderly grandparents, make sure that somebody has power of attorney to act on that person's behalf. That is so actually, important. I would even go a step farther. I mean, if you, if you have somebody that you trust, um, have, for example, my dad was still alive. My mom really needed power of attorney, even though he was with it. So an attorney wrote up something for us for, for him to sign that we couldn't ever get to him. But it was basically saying, even though I'm still here, I want my wife to make the decisions. And the reason for that is because when you are in a panic and you can't breathe or you don't feel well, you, like right now, you know what you want. You know what you want because you are thinking clearly. When you're not feeling well, you're not thinking clearly and it's good to have your family member who already knows your wishes to who can think a little more clearly to be in control and at least consulted otherwise they don't they don't listen to you so everybody needs to have advanced directive paperwork yeah in place everybody needs to have a power of attorney everybody even me i'm only 51 years old uh i i, I even need to have a, a power because it's not good enough to just to be married. The, no, the medical no. System, the medical system needs to know that your spouse has the right to make decisions on your behalf if you, if you can't make decisions on your own. Mm -hmm. And you need to, everybody needs to get their spiritual life in order. I not agree with you more, Lenita. I tell everybody that. If you don't know Jesus, you better know Jesus. Mm -hmm. I one that's going to save you. I am so thankful that my dad did know the Lord. I mean, that makes it tall, a little tolerable, I guess. I don't even know if that's the right word, but if he didn't know the Lord and I didn't know where he was, I, I would just be, I, I don't know. I don't know how I would even handle that. I hear so. you. I hear you, honey. Thank you so much Kenya, for sharing your story and for having the strength to relive um, throughout all of and sharing your story here. Um, I know that you've got uh, friends and you even have some medical professionals that are helping you sort through all of your dad's medical records. And I just pray that God would be with you all as you go through that and piecing mm -hmm. everything together. And um, I just pray that you're able to continue to make a difference in the lives of others as you uh, continue down this path. Our prayers are with you, my friend. Thank you so much, Lisa. I very much appreciate you having me. Have a great day, sweetie. God bless you. Too.
Thanks for listening. Please leave a rating wherever you download podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a future episode of the Defending Freedom podcast.